0: This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station.
1: BFM 89.9, my name's Daryl Ong and you tune in to Bar None, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. First up, as always, our news roundup on the good, the bad and the ugly. Alright as usual Sabrina Magdalene from news Desk. Let's start with the good news of the week
2: Yes so it's about the Tokyo Olympics mm. The Tokyo Olympics torch relay just got underway after a one year delay um, It will be 121 days uh, which will crisscross Japan and involve about 10,000 runners yeah. before the torch lights the Olympic cauldron on July 23rd Of course you know during a time where reports opinions and surveys are casting doubt on whether the Olympics will take place organisers are hoping that you know the torch relay will send a message that the Tokyo Tokyo Games will proceed this July. Tokyo 2020 Chief um, Seiko Hashimoto uh, called the flame a ray of light at the end of the darkness. So the first person to carry the rose gold cherry blossom shaped torch was one of Japan's 2011 World Cup winning women's footballers, Azusa Iwashimizu, um, who was accompanied by former teammates. Mm. She then passed the flame to Fukushima High School student Asato Owada. You know, there were a handful of fans wearing masks, of course, um, watching the relay from a section. And the loudest sound came from clicking cameras because (laughs) cheering and large crowds are actually banned because of virus safety. Mm. And also on another development on the Olympics, organisers are actually ready to resume safe test events which basically function as dress rehearsals for each sport. It was halted last year after the sport climbing event in March last year because of, you know, COVID-19 infection concerns. So Tokyo 2020 staff had to replace athletes. But now the organisers have unveiled countermeasures for 18 test events that will resume from April 3rd. Um, it will begin with wheelchair rugby and then water polo next week. Right. I mean, fans and overseas athletes will likely be involved in four events, which will be organized by international federations. Uh, they are diving, water polo, artistic swimming, and also the marathon but also just another update about fans as we all know overseas fans will unfortunately be barred from attending the Olympics but officials will make a decision on the number of domestic supporters that can attend by April
1: great stuff I mean like you said the Olympics was, was cast into doubt uh, over last year and this year as well so the torch relay starting really is a good thing and a good sign and you know might be the most complicated of uh, Olympics mm-hmm. in the recent years but I'm just so happy that um, at least there are signs that it will happen real soon in yes. July alright Right. Uh, from that piece of good news, uh, we move on to the bad of the week, Sabrina.
2: Yes, so this is about racial abuse. So Facebook um, removed the Instagram accounts that sent racially abusive messages to Wales international football players, Robbie Matondo and Ben Cabango, after the team's 1-0 win over Mexico. But Facebook only acted a few hours after Matondo slammed the social media platform, accusing Instagram of doing nothing about racist abuse. Uh, but Welsh police say, you know, they are probing the origin of the uh, racially motivated social media posts. Um, the Football Association of Wales also urged social media platforms to do more. And so Facebook has since uh, responded, um, saying that um, aside from removing the accounts, the company is working on other measures to combat online abuse. They have built tools, you know, that mean public figures don't ever have to receive direct messages from people mm. they don't follow. Mm. And they will also take tougher action when they are aware of people breaking making their rules in direct messages. Um, other f- other football players that have suffered racial abuse online are also like Anthony Marshall, uh, Marcus Rashford, and the Manchester United teammate Fred.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement has been going on in sport, mm-hmm. especially football, for the last couple of months now. Actually, almost coming to a year. And you know, um, racial abuse, especially in the advent of social media, is a it's a real thing. And you know, people seem to forget that they're humans too. The athletes, the stars, they are humans too. Yeah. So it's kind of uh, you know disheartening to hear that this this is still happening even after so. Long. Long. Gotcha. Um, but that's not even the, the worst news of the week. We have The Ugly next.
2: Yes, so this is actually about um, national football teams protesting against Qatar's human rights track record. So the Netherlands men's football team wore t-shirts that read, football supports change. They also came out with a statement saying, as early as 2010, the Royal Netherlands Football Association expressed its opposition to Qatar holding the World Cup. Conditions for migrant workers in the country are terrible, you know, but a boycott is not the best response. Human rights organizations emphasize that a boycott would mean that migrant workers would lose their wages and recent progress in Qatar would come to a halt. Mm. So in their view, you know, it is better at this stage to go to Qatar and used the World Cup to exert diplomatic pressure on the authorities to pursue reforms. And this came after Germany made a similar statement with players lining up before a recent match, each with one letter to spell out human rights. Norwegian players were the first to start this movement on March 24th, uh, before one of their matches, um, with shirts that read human rights on and off the pitch. Mm. So Denmark... Mm -hmm. is expected to join the protest this weekend before their qualifier against Moldova. Mm -hmm. FIFA's disciplinary code states players and federations can face disciplinary action in cases of using a sports event for demonstrations of a non-sporting nature. But the Wolf Football governing body has not yet opened a case against Norway or Germany for their actions so far. So what did FIFA actually say about this? Well, a spokesperson released a statement along with evidence saying that with the very stringent health and safety measures on site, the frequency of accidents on FIFA World Cup construction sites has been low when compared to other major construction projects around right. the world. Right. Um, Qatari World Cup organisers have also responded, saying they have always been transparent you know, about the health and safety of workers. Since the construction of stadiums began in 2014, there have been three work-related fatalities and 35 non-work-related deaths. Hmm. You know, this isn't the first time that Qatar has been put under the spotlight for this issue. But, you know, all this pressure will hopefully make Qatar more attentive and act on the reform needed once and for all, you know, not just for the sake of this event, but, you know, just how workers are treated in that land alone in general.
1: Many thanks to Sabrina Magdalene from the News Desk for this week's news roundup on the good, the bad and the ugly. This week on the program, we speak to two-time World Masters champion, 36-year-old Cindy Ong, who most recently won 5 golds and 2 silvers at the 2019 FINA World Masters Swimming Championship in Korea. A tournament which is effectively the Olympics equivalent for the world in Masters Swimming. She's also ranked the fastest in the world in the 50m freestyle for her age group and also world number 1 in the women's butterfly in the 35-39 age group. She's been swimming competitively since 1989 and was born pretty much into a swimming family. Her brother is a national swimmer along with her mom, who took part in a swim event at the 72 Munich Olympics. Cindy Ong joins us on the line as she shares her story.
0: I think that it was definitely a lot of hard work since I was a little kid. So yes, my auntie was a swimmer and my brother was a swimmer and I was kind of put in the environment. The setup was there. Mm-hmm. But um, no, it wasn't second nature. And I always believe that I'm not a natural athlete. So I'll give you an example. For a lot of people, if they, I mean, if they're natural athletes, they just pick things up really quickly. But for me, I kind of have to work double or triple hard to get something right. Mm. Uh, if I just do a couple of push-ups, I'll be really sore for like five days and be out. So yeah, I don't think it's that mm. it was natural
1: but but you were surrounded in that environment ho- pretty much a swimming environment right uh, did you feel in a certain way there was a pressure to kind of follow suit
0: yes definitely mm. I mean I get asked all the time because um, mm. my brother was in the US so everybody would just ask me oh when are you going to go to the US when are you following your brother's footsteps right. so yeah the pressure was definitely on
1: you definitely uh, made the right step in, in following uh, their footsteps Um when did you realise, you know, because, you know, for me, swimming is pretty much a, a casual activity. Uh, I'm, non, I'm non-competitive at yeah. all. I just swim. Sometimes I wait. I'm sure it was the same for you early on as well, right? When was the moment that you felt that, okay, you know what? This is not casual for me anymore. This is competitive. Like, I'm actually going to take this seriously.
0: I think there are two parts to your question. Mm-hmm. The first part is that, uh, no, it's actually never been leisure for me. So since the first day I stepped foot into the pool when I was three, it was swimming lesson and from swimming lesson, like a learn to swim swimming lesson, lesson it became a group training lesson. And so one thing led to another. So the path that was set for me was never leisure mm. to begin with. Mm. Um, but having said that, I, I never really took it that seriously. I mean, it was serious, but not like, you know, it wasn't a da- daily training type for me. And I was always the lazier one compared to my <laughs> brother. He would always wake up at five o'clock in the morning and, and there I was, I was just fake illness or whatever, (laughs) trying to get out of practice. Um, So I guess the turning point for me was after breaking my first, what was it? It was a national age group record. I was 12 years old Mm -hmm. and I broke the 50 meter freestyle record. So I didn't really know what it meant at that time. And my dad told me, oh, it basically means that you're the fastest 12 year old in the History of Malaysia. That's crazy. And so I was like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. And, you know, 30 million people and uh, in the whole history of Malaysia was the fastest. So mm. that was kind of cool. And and that kind of took me to another, okay. you know.
1: Yeah. Uh, bring us through your first tournament or first competition.
0: Um, as far as my memory served me, I think um, it was 1990. I was five and a half years old. It was the Ipo Swimming Club Gala. Mm-hmm. And I won the 30-meter Butterfly. We're in a record time of, I think, 30 seconds. And I broke the record. That actually never got broken.
1: So you broke a record on your first tournament, your first competition. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a butterfly event, and I actually didn't understand what a record means. So I asked my dad, what, was, what is a record? Because everybody by the swimming pool were just jumping up and down. My dad was jumping, my mom yeah. was jumping, and everybody was like, wow!
1: You didn't understand I didn't understand
0: what the hype was because everybody was jumping and came and gave me a hug and... And so I, I didn't understand. Mm. And then later, my dad said that, well, yeah, basically you're
1: you did something. Yeah, you did. You should be proud of for sure. And yeah, let's talk a bit about that record now. It's actually the thirty meters butterfly, and you still you still hold that record, like you said, from 1990 till today, it still hasn't well, been bro- the the
0: Ipo Swimming Club um, swimming pool was uh, demolished and rebuilt, so they they scrapped all the records. But it that record was never broken.
1: Cindy, you have a background in psychology and sociology. That's Um, right. Has that informed your swimming career in any way?
0: Um, I don't think it influenced me in any way when I was growing up, but having a degree in psychology and then coming into master swimming, which is entirely different ball game as an adult, um, I think that has kind of given me a a different perspective in the sport. And Mm -hmm. I was, because of my degree, I think I was able to look at myself from outside the box So I'm not sure if you know this, Um, I'm my own coach. So what that means is that I I write my own program, which means that I design my own suffering, how much I would like to suffer for that day. So a lot of my swimmers, they always ask, are you swimming or are you on deck? So they would prefer if I'm in the pool with them. Okay. And I think that that kind of gives them also like, okay, she's suffering together with us instead of just on deck and shouting. Got you. And I also understand that a little better. So. Um, because I don't have a coach, I have to look at myself from outside the box mm. and, and coach myself and have all that self-awareness. And I think psychology gave me
1: yeah. the ability to because, do that. Because it's a pretty hard thing to do, right? To remove yourself and look at yourself in a very objective way. Yes. Pointing out your own flaws. Correct, correct.
0: correct. Mm.
1: Yeah. So, so um, bring us through that moment then, you know, what have you taught yourself <laughs> in a way?
0: <laughs> effort. It's a lot of effort over effect. Yeah, that I was able to look at myself from outside the box and um, yeah, mm. I'm not sure how to explain this.
1: Uh, but but also one thing I'm sure that uh, you gain knowledge from is composure, right? I, I'm sure your psychology background gave you that, I guess, that, uh, a different mindset to m- most people, especially when it comes to a, a sporting career.
0: Um, I'm, not, so? I'm not sure how much of that psychology background offered in, in that sense, because growing up, I think this sport needs a lot of discipline right. and it's something that's instilled from a young age and not something that you just kind of acquire
1: Got you. there and then. Got you. Um, talking a bit now about, you know, today's age and the new normal, it's no question COVID-19 uh, hit competitive swimming really hard. Yes. Um, I understand that you train at your condo swimming pool and you specifically chose that condo because of the pool. It's an olympic size swimming pool, right? Um, now with COVID-19 closing most public places down, especially swimming pools, what were your contingency plans um, over the last year and, and going into this year?
0: So in the past, year when pools were closed i think i only managed to, sh- to swim about 12 weeks in the entire year and um, that 12 weeks i actually did not swim in my condo pool because it's been closed so since covid happened uh, just abruptly i started land workout throughout the whole entire year and land that was workout, yeah that's right. the only thing i did mm. and when i say land workout it i know this term sound extremely foreign to non-swimmers because everybody thinks a workout is you know automatically it's on land so swimmers call it land workout or sometimes we say dry land which mm-hmm. is dif- a different terminology from gym so dry land and gym is are like, are like two different things so what i've done was that i curated a swim specific dry land training so we do it on land but we try to simulate as much as possible right of swimming elements so there's power there's speed there's strength there's tempo training there's a whole lot of elements that I try to simulate online I've been doing that for about a year now Mm -hmm. and uh, recently we just moved back into the pool but not in my condo anymore so we have this indoor pool that's in Subang perfect 25 meter indoor and I I love that pool
1: in hindsight Cindy do you think this land training is a viable substitute for you know it's not nothing beats being in the pool
0: i would definitely say that yes it is viable it took me by surprise so what i did was a little experiment per <laughs> se 80 to 85 percent of the people who followed through with my land workout went back into the pool and on the second day at their back so the first day i'll just let everybody kind of feel the water yeah, on the second day that they're back, which is usually the next day, I did a 50-meter freestyle time trial and 80-85% to 85% of them swam within one second of their lifetime best. Oh wow. Without having swam for a year.
1: That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so it does work.
0: <laughs> yes, I was very surprised as well.
1: There was two-time World Masters champion Cindy Ong on Bar Nan, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. More of that conversation coming right up. My name's Daryl Ong. Do stick around. Only here on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9. My name's Daryl Ong. You tuned in to Bar None, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. And this week on the program, we've been in conversation with a former national swimmer and a two-time World Masters champion, Cindy Ong. who's also a mom of three and it's safe to assume that swimming is in the family's veins as one of her daughters holds a Malaysia Book of Records title for the youngest and fastest toddler on water to swim about 200 metres. We pick up the conversation with Cindy by asking about how she finds the balance between competitive sport and motherhood.
0: Um, I get asked this question a lot actually. And the answer is...
1: Only because you're still at it, you know, you're still going.
0: (laughs) No, but but the answer is actually really, really simple. The fact is that I managed to come up with a training plan that doesn't clash with my motherhood duties. And um, I basically threw the entire conventional training method out of the window. I basically threw it out and locked the window and throw the key away so that conventional training method will not come back to look for me. So right now, I train about three hours a week.
1: Oh, that's three hours a week.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that's nothing, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So conventional training would then say that swimmers need to train two to four hours a day. So two hours in the water um, in the morning and maybe two hours in the evening. Mm -hmm. And and on top of that, you have one hour of dry land or gym. So Mm -hmm. that's a lot of training going on. So even before Guangzhou, I was training less than 10 hours a week. So I managed to come up with um, a style of training that's extremely efficient. It cuts training time in half. Or even um, two thirds. So basically, right. I'm only training one third of what conventional training would do, and still produce, uh, you know,
1: that's crazy. A
0: result. I mean, I I, I won world number one.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know. So it clearly works, you <laughs> so, know. So sometimes, so what I'm gathering and what I'm getting at is maybe effective training rather than you know the number of of hours. Correct. Right?
0: Correct. And and it's a very science based thing, and right. actually counterintuitive mm. to the conventional method of training. Mm. So let's say in public, if I were to tell my friends this, a lot of people don't believe me and they're like, ah. Yeah, mm. because if I came out to you, mm. if, if we met here, Daryl, if we met outside and I told you that I have a way to train and make you a marathon champion, training only one third the time that you put in and you can become a champion, you'll be like, you know,
1: don't. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. Like, ah, <laughs> Not in a okay, million years.
0: <laughs> okay, you are trying to sell me something here.
1: <laughs> um, maybe part of it is also you're naturally gifted. Maybe that's why you you can do. You know, um, you can give yourself a bit of a leeway in in that sense. Do you agree? Uh,
0: no. So I've used this method with little kids as well. So at first I was experimenting it on myself, mm-hmm. and. Um, Half a year after the delivery of my third child, mm-hmm. I competed in the World Masters and I came in number five. And I thought, well, after my third cesarean, I was world number five. If I really trained, where would it take me? Mm. So I trained really hard for two years for the next World Masters, which was 2019, and came back with five gold, two silvers. Then I applied this same method of training to just a small group of kids that I'm coaching right now. And the result is just phenomenal. Right. I mean, my son is uh, currently one of the fastest in the
1: country. Yeah, let's talk a bit about that now. Your son uh, is the fastest 10-year-old ten-year-old, year old yes, in <laughs> Malaysia, and also national champion in his age group.
0: Yes, in uh, his age group.
1: <laughs> your daughter Kiara, t- at twenty-three months old in 2016, became Malaysia's youngest toddler to swim. Your kids are already <laughs> falling in, in your footsteps, and that's great. Uh, but for for you as as a mother and as a I guess a coach, um, was there much? pushing and convincing your kids to, to swim as well?
0: I think in the beginning, yes, because, you know, like hard training, hard work doesn't come natural to to all the kids. Yeah, for sure. They, yeah, and, and you need a little bit of engineering per se. So for my boy, um, yes, I trained him. And in the beginning, there's some kickbacks and, you know, I, I don't want to do it kind of thing. But after, I would say, um, maybe about a year or so, and he started competing, then he himself, found the passion in the sport mm. so now um the punishment would be if you let's say uh, if you don't do your homework i'm not gonna bring you for for swimming training today
1: it's become an incentive y- <laughs> correct so he
0: actually likes it he loves it mm. that i say okay no you you can't go i'm not gonna take you then you know then he will sulk <laughs> so he it, it, it took over the passion took Very over nice. but initially i think with everything everything not just swimming with everything parents need to guide them. Mm. Now with my daughter, um, it's a different story. With my daughter, all I did was have her fill in some water baby slots because I was teaching water baby swimming. When she was a baby, just a couple months old, I was teaching that. And um, I, I never really enrolled my daughter in my own class. So what I did was that when people were absent and they would inform me in advance, then I would just put my daughter in that class just to fill in the... Fill the slot, right? Yeah, just to fill in the slot. So she never actually had a real slot of her own. Mm -hmm. And she was just filling in gaps here and there in different classes, never even in the same class. And one day I noticed that, oh, she can actually kind of float on her own. So we tested her from one second became three seconds, became five seconds, and then started traveling. Traveling as in moving from one meter to three meters to five meters to ten meters. And within a month, actually maybe even Not less than a month. She suddenly was able to do 50 meters and um, there came an aha moment. I'm like, wow, were there any kids who who are able to do this? So I looked it up and found that in the Malaysia Book of Record, there was a four-year-old girl who swam 50 meters and she was in the MBR. So I contacted MBR and uh, so she attempted that record and swam 199.35 meters.
1: <laughs> I'm sure she didn't understand what was going on. <laughs> she
0: didn't know. She was just doing what she liked. You know, she, she yeah. liked being in the water and That's she was awesome. just doggy paddling her way.
1: Very nice. How about your third one?
0: My third one is actually learning how to swim now. <laughs>
1: Man, this swimming really runs in 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 the blood, in the veins <laughs> for you guys. Um, uh, how has the sport changed, you know, since you started to today? I know, I know, wow. you talked a lot about you know, different technologies wow, coming wow, in, different yes. change, of course. Yes,
0: yes, yes, yes. Give us wow. an
1: overview. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, It is when I first joined back as a master swimmer because I was overweight after having my, my second baby. Um, when I came back, it that sport was, I mean, this is the only thing I knew how to do. I, I, I basically suck on land. I don't know how to do any of the land sports. If you throw me a ball, I can't catch it. You, I can't kick it. So I'm useless on land. And so when I came back to swim, being overweight and all. This is a completely new sport. It was almost unrecognizable, but I've been doing this sport for as long as I remember it. So coming back to swim, I noticed that there were significant changes, not just on the technical aspects of the sport. So technical, meaning the strokes, there were a lot of changes within each one of the stroke. So the way... uh, like like freestyle hand entry. there's used to be thumb entry and now no longer thumb entry because it causes shoulder imp- oh. impingement. And uh, yeah, like butterfly, there's a lot of stroke technical changes and it's not just the technical changes. And then there's different ways of training. There's different school of thought mm. to train as well. Mm. And then nutrition, the, the information that's available out there for swimmers nutrition is also drastically different from when I was growing up. Because when I was growing up, basically the coach they eat whatever you want.
1: Oh, really? Pizza.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> I used to eat the entire large pizza by myself one meal, and and it's it's okay. So in the past, I think um, it was just okay, eat enough calories, to for you to burn. Mm. But it's it's so different now.
1: Yeah, I mean, technology really has increased the. Um Peak performance, right? Oh, you know, yeah. it Keep it. Keep raising the yes, bar all the exactly. time. exactly.
0: Like e- swimming equipment's also all the different toys that mm. we use in the pool is mm. it's so advanced. So and I love it. So I'm a very science based person. I I don't follow fat diets or fat training program or fat. What well, you know, it's more like a long term. And I study it intently. And I I really study it religiously mm. every night. And I read up. I will read up on the different training methods before I attempt it. So um, what I am doing right now, I have studied for a couple of years religiously Mm. and read up on it before I I embarked on it.
1: Mm. Um, Thinking about, you know, all this new technology all this fancy stuff that's going on right now, back in the day, if you had that, do you think that would have maybe pushed your career a little bit more? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So kids, they are lucky. That's what you're saying. Yeah. (laughs) Your last competition uh, was in Korea. Japan. Japan, sorry. Uh, you won at the World 2019 World Championships. Uh, uh,
0: I competed in a few more after that, but that ah, was right. my last uh, major one. 2019, major one. yeah, World Masters.
1: You won five gold medals and an achievement that put you in the MBR, the Malaysian Book of Records, uh, for um, the most gold medals by an individual swimmer at a World Masters Championship. Congrats, first of all.
0: Thank you. Tell
1: us a bit about the experience.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> It, it's definitely an unforgettable experience for me because I have never won on the world stage. So like like I said um, earlier, in 2017, when I competed half a year after the delivery of my third baby um, and I got a fifth placing, I basically challenged myself. It was something that I, I told myself. Nobody told me this. And, and I wanted to see if I really trained, if I could podium. Mm. So going into Korea... 2019, I only targeted one podium finish for myself. But uh, I guess I really trained really, really hard going in there. Mm. I was doing a lot of gym work. I was squatting 120 kilos.
1: You are working as hard as you ever done for this. Yeah, Mm. I
0: was squatting double my body weight. Mm. I was doing like 15 chin-ups, pull-ups. Uh, so I was working really, really hard and, and making sure that my shoulder injury was taken care of. Yeah, I was doing a lot of physio work on the side, a lot of massages, um, really high protein diet. So a lot of steak. and <laughs> 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 Yeah. <coughs> so um, I think I trained and prepped myself. I did everything I could leading up to that mm-hmm. and swam a time that um, I was really satisfied with
1: yeah and it clearly worked out you know five gold medals um, take me through that that progress I guess when you won your first you won your second third, fourth, fifth was the Malaysian Book of Records ever in your mind at all during that time? no no not at all
0: no no it, I uh, <laughs> No, so when I won the first gold medal, it was my first event. It was a hundred meter freestyle, and when I won it, um, basically I texted a, a friend of mine who works in New Straits Times, and yep. he he kind of wrote an article on that right away, Be- and that was a very special moment for me because that was a historic gold medal for the country, yeah, as yeah, Malaysia yeah. has never won any gold medal on the world stage, mm. uh, masters or amateur, yeah. put together. So um, it was a very historic gold medal, and so I think that I think that was the the. I think my, maybe my proudest moment mm. yeah the first goal and the subsequent subsequent goals um, when it happened yeah it, you know I, I guess I was really happy
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah what what else to feel right <laughs> yeah that's crazy uh, so you competed in freestyle your, your first one um, but you want to go for that, but you're also you also given the nickname as Miss Butterfly, isn't it?
0: Yes, so yeah. I won I won the fifty and hundred fly as well.
1: Fly, yeah. Um, did you see yourself, you know, set out? When, when you started out to set out to you know, specialize in that style or was it something that just came along the way?
0: Um, I I don't know. I don't really know. So But um, when I was starting to, to learn how to swim, my learn to swim teacher told me that I had a really nice butterfly and it kind of came naturally to me to swim butterfly even up till today. Mm-hmm. Um, so butterfly is a very technical, yeah. very, very technical stroke. It's actually not that hard. Yeah. It's yeah, butterfly is not so hard to execute. I mean, if a lot of people find butterfly really hard because they don't really know, they don't have the know-how. Mm. But if you have the knowledge and and how to undulate and use your body instead of fighting with the water, then it's actually not so hard. Um, so until today, whenever I. <laughs> I go for my training And if I feel really 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 Tired from freestyle I'll change to butterfly mm. So a lot of my friends Then say Oh you crazy People change from Butterfly to freestyle You change from freestyle To butterfly
1: That's a leisure mode For you A relax because,
0: mode <laughs> Because I actually feel Like butterfly is easier mm. Yeah If I don't sprint I think butterfly is, is easier For me Because mm. it's, it's Both the arms
1: Both the arms
0: Together yeah. So it's stronger This way Rather than one
1: mm. but, but for me As an outsider I feel like it Hurts the shoulders A bit, a bit more Especially with your Your injury
0: yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. It does. I mean, um, now, yes, I have an injury. And so there there are times that I have to stop the butterfly and, and go a little easier. Mm-hmm. But um, if it doesn't hurt, then I'll do butterfly. If I had it my way, I'll do butterfly most of the time. <laughs>
1: two-time World Masters champion and former national swimmer Cindy Ong on bar none and with that we've come to the end of this week's program if you'd like to revisit the interview with Cindy again do head over to our website www.bfm.my forward slash bar none if you'd like to get in touch with us you can tweet us at BFM Radio and also don't forget to download the BFM app via Google Play and the App Store My name's Daryl Ong, this has been Barnon, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. Join us again next week only here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station.